Well, if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, uh, Paul's uh, epistle, and we're going to look at uh, chapter 1 and verses 1 to 2. So just two verses uh, from Galatians chapter 1. So Galatians begins by saying, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Well, this evening we're going to look at Galatians, and I'm going to begin by saying something which all of us need to hear. You are no longer slaves. You are no longer slaves. This is a message that every single one of us in this room need to hear loud and clear. You are no longer slaves. And we need to hear that because so often our life is defined by what we're slaves to. Now in one sense, the Bible says that we are slaves to God, but the kind of slavery that we're talking about here is being chained to or ruled by a master that is evil. Now, slavery to Christ is totally different. Christ is a good master. We're all slaves to something, but we are no longer slaves to anything other than Christ. Now, in the world, there are really uh, many, many religions, but really there are only two kinds. There is the uh, religion of human achievement, and there is the religion of divine accomplishment. You've got human achievement and divine accomplishment. Now in the one, to achieve salvation, it's all down to me. If I want to be satisfied in my life, it's down to me. If I want to please God, it's down to me. That's slavery. In the other, the religion of divine accomplishment, it's all down to God. I recognize that I cannot save myself. I need God's mercy. And wonderfully, that has been accomplished on the cross when Jesus has died for our sins and on the third day when he rose from the dead. And that, brothers and sisters, is freedom. Because I cannot please God because of my sin. And so when I'm in the slavery of trying to do that, it's miserable. But when I recognize that Jesus Christ has done everything to save me, that is true freedom, isn't it? The gospel is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished all that is needed to rescue us from our sins 
and we can receive that gift by his grace. That is what we as Christians profess, that's what we sing of, that's what we celebrate. But sometimes we question whether God has really accomplished it all for us. Or even if we don't question it out loud, we live our lives as if we are questioning. Is it really done? Has God really done everything that's needed to save me from my sins? Sometimes we don't think God is quite enough to bring us, for example, satisfaction in our lives. So we might disregard God's word or twist what it says to make it fit what we think will make us happy. So does God really want me to be generous with my money? If I, if I, if I give away what I have, then well, I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm not going to have all that I want. Or we might say, does God really want me to, to not fulfill all my sexual desires? Surely God wants me to be happy and we might twist God's word or we might disregard it altogether because we think that's what will make me happy. What we're saying is God hasn't really accomplished all that's needed for my salvation. I can make myself happy. Sometimes people add extra rules to earn God's favor. They think, well, okay, Jesus has died for my sins, but I've got to do all these extra things in order to make God happy. And some people flip-flop between these two. At church, they're extra good, do lots of extra bits and pieces to, to make everybody think that they're pleasing God, but when they go to school or when they go to work, they live by their own rules, or rather, they're slaves to other people's rules. The point is that we so often profess to believe the gospel, but we act as our own saviors. Do you see? The problem with the religion of human achievement is that it is miserable slavery. We're either slavery to a, a set of rules, or we're slaves to our own desires, or often we're slaves to what other people want of us. The gospel is freedom. You are no longer slaves. That phrase, by the way, is from the book of Galatians. God is pleased with us and provides all that we need, not because of ourselves, but because he is a God of abundant grace. The message of the gospel is that we are no longer slaves. And Paul's letter to the Galatians is to show the churches here and God's people through all ages the truth of this and how then to live as free people. So Paul the Apostle planted churches in the region of Galatia. People had been saved from their sins and given new life in Christ and had joined local congregations. But false teachers had come into these churches. And they were teaching that Paul's message of grace is not really quite altogether true. It's a little bit true, but there's more to it. These false teachers were Jewish, and they were teaching that in order to be a real Christian, 
You are saved by grace, but you also need to follow the old Jewish laws, especially around circumcision. You're not saved by grace alone. You need to add a bit extra. What they were really saying is Jesus Christ alone is not enough. And so in this letter, Paul, we read, was astonished. We'll read that he was in the anguish of childbirth. Obviously, not literally, but he felt that way. And perplexed. Because they had deserted the gospel of grace, of freedom, for a religion of human accomplishment, which was akin to going back to slavery. So how did the the false teachers do this? Well, they first of all undermined the messenger, Paul himself, and then they undermined the message. They distorted the gospel. And so Paul, in this letter, reminds them of his authority, and he reminds them of the gospel. And we need those same two reminders all the time. We need to be reminded, this word is true. This word has authority over our lives. This is God's word. And we need to be reminded every day, the gospel is true. Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is all that's needed to save us. Now, of course, we're we're saved by that message, but we need to hear it, don't we? Every single day. Every day. I mean, that's why we have the Lord's Supper. We remind each other, Jesus has died for our sins. And so tonight, as we look at Galatians, those two themes are going to appear uh, just in the first two verses. Uh, All we're going to look at is uh, three parts to these two verses. We're going to see uh, the author, the authority, and the audience. The author, the authority, and the audience. So first of all, uh, the author. Paul was the ideal man proclaiming the gospel. So the first word of this epistle is Paul, Paul. Now in chapter 1 and verse 11 to the end of chapter 2, there is an autobiography about Paul that he writes himself, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time. So we're not going to go into that uh, biography so much now, uh, but it's worth explaining a bit who Paul is. Uh, Paul's name uh, is, I think, quite ironic. It, It means little. Uh, which is ironic because Paul was used in a very big way uh, in uh, the history of the church. He wrote most of the New Testament. He was born in Tarsus, which was an important Roman city, uh, a major center of commerce, uh, culture, and education. And Paul had learnt the trade of being a tent maker. That was his, his, his learnt trade, but... He was going to have a career as a Jewish religious leader. And he had his higher education in Jerusalem under the feet of the renowned Rabbi Gamaliel. And under the teaching of Gamaliel, Paul got to know the Old Testament scriptures expertly. He knew his Bible very well indeed. But he wasn't merely a scholar, Paul was an activist in the Jewish religion. He was passionate about the Jewish law. And he became a Pharisee 
keen on seeing people convert to the Jewish religion. And before his conversion, Paul hated Christianity. Hated it with a passion you will rarely see anywhere else. He believed that the way to God's favor was the way of keeping the Jewish law. And his burning hatred of Christianity, a faith that said Jesus Christ alone can save us from our sins, he is the Jewish Messiah, caused him in his hatred to persecute Christians. He murdered them. And it was on his way to kill more Christians on the road to Damascus that the risen Lord Jesus met with Paul and saved him and called him to be his witness to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Now Paul, as we saw in Acts chapter 9, did not do anything to save himself. He was a raging hater of Christians, but God saved him. And God made Paul an apostle to spread the gospel to the Gentile people of the Roman world. What I want you to see as we just look very briefly at Paul is how God uses his upbringing, his training, and his life experience to make him so effective in the calling that God has given him. So Paul was brought up in a city of varied cultures, helping him to take the gospel to various cultures. Paul was educated. That was not a given for everybody during this time, but it enabled Paul to write the New Testament letters of which there are so many. Paul was educated in the Jewish scriptures, helping him to use the Bible to point people to especially the Jewish people, in the place in the synagogues when he went all around the Roman world. He pointed people to Jesus from the Old Testament. Paul was a, a tent maker. God used that to enable him to be able to support himself financially as he traveled around Europe spreading the gospel. And Paul's testimony of conversion showed in his life how the gospel is all about grace he didn't save himself. And when people question whether the gospel really is about grace, he only had to point to himself and say, well, look how God saved me. Paul, Paul's upbringing and his background and his testimony of conversion was used by God for God's glory. And that should be an encouragement to, to you and I because God uses our upbringing and our background to fulfill his great purposes. Now, all of us have different experiences in our lives, don't we? Some of those experiences will be very good. Some of them are horrendous. But God takes us with the history we have, and he uses us, including our history, for the, his glory in his kingdom. Now, sometimes we allow our past to hinder us in serving God. But we ought to be thinking how God can use our past, even the bad things, to fulfill his purposes in his church. 
whether that be gifts such as education or wealth or abilities or, or difficult past situations, God has allowed these in your life to fulfill his good purposes in you for his glory. And we have to be willing to submit those areas of our lives to him and to ask him to use them for his purposes. Don't let your past hinder you. Pray that God would use you and use your past for his glory. But God also doesn't just use what's gone on in the past. He also uses our present circumstances. You see, Paul did not actually plan on staying in the area of Galatia. Just turn forwards to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. We're not told exactly what this illness was, but it was an illness that caused him to be stuck in the region of Galatia. But this illness meant that the gospel was preached to these people and churches were established. God used Paul's illness, his present circumstances, to provide others with an even greater healing, salvation from sin. Now many in our congregation, in our church in Pelsall, are sick. Some are very ill. But God can use us in unexpected ways. Ways that we would not have planned when we are ill. You see, sickness is not outside of the sovereignty of God. In fact, it's quite the opposite. There is no such thing as bad luck. There is no such things as bad omens or even accidents. God rules over all. And so there are opportunities for gospel witness and kingdom service in the midst of sickness. Just as an example of this, the testimony to God's greatness and goodness from the lips of a suffering Christian is one of the most powerful testimonies that there is, isn't it? When a Christian is bedbound and they say how wonderful Jesus Christ is, people listen. When a Christian is suffering and they speak of God's abundant blessings, how encouraging that is to other believers. That is not saying that illness and suffering are easy. Don't mishear what I'm saying. But the Bible does teach that the God's power is displayed in our weakness. 
God is still worthy of praise even when we're suffering, isn't he? Now, suffering, and especially illness, can cause anger and bitterness. But for Paul, it led to opportunities to serve his Savior. What about you? Uh, One wonderful illustration of this that uh, many of you would have heard of is Joni Erickson Tada. As a young woman of 17, she misjudged the depth of where she was diving in the Chesapeake Bay and at 17 years old became a quadriplegic. In her testimony, she doesn't hide the difficulties of her life or the times of anger and the times of questioning God But her life has been used in amazing ways for God's glory, in advocating for disability rights, in helping others in their suffering, and just in sharing the gospel from her wheelchair with an authenticity and a legitimacy that is amazing. Listen to what she said about all the amazing work that God has done through her life. She said, my wheelchair was the key to seeing all this happen, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I've not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed for my own self-centered wants and wishes. So to our brothers and sisters who are struggling in their health, and for those who are the rest of us who one day no doubt will be struggling in our health, hear this. You are not useless in God's kingdom. Rather, as you faithfully follow Jesus day by day, you are the most powerful witnesses we have. And God has work for you to do. Serve how you can. Serve where you can. Take opportunities as they arise, but never ever think God is done with you. And throughout all the time, praise the Lord who is always worthy, isn't he? But for all of us, God wants to use you In the circumstances, you are in. So when you are young and fit, use your energy for his purposes. Or when you're middle-aged and fit, use your energy for his purposes too. When you're retired or you're not needing to work, use your time for his purposes. When you are rich, use your money for his purposes. Your upbringing, your background, and your present circumstances are no accident. God has put you here. They are made by God to make you into the servant of Jesus Christ that he wants you to be. So we've looked at one word so far, Paul. Uh, so let's move, uh, move on. Uh, so he's the author But why should we listen to him? Why should we listen to this man called Paul? 
Because no doubt there were lots of cultured, educated, zealous people who happened to get sick in the Roman Empire at this time. What was it about Paul that makes us listen to him? Well, we listen to Paul, number two, because of his authority. He had the credentials that prove we can trust the gospel. One of the problems in Galatia is that Paul's authority was being questioned. People were being told by the false teachers, you can't really trust Paul. And at the beginning of this book, of this letter, Paul tells us why we should listen to him. And he begins by telling us of his office. So it says, Paul, an apostle. An apostle. Now, an apostle is a messenger. Uh, and, a, and, and it can be used simply in that way in the Bible and is in different places. Just a, a messenger, bringing a message. But normally, in the New Testament, apostle is used for the specific office that was given by Jesus to a small group of his followers. And to be an apostle, uh, there was a, a specific uh, qualification that they needed that we find in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to bring up the words on the screen just in a moment, but just the context of Acts chapter 1, there were 11 apostles left because Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus. And the apostles wanted to replace Judas. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, this is what we read about how they're going to choose somebody. It is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So an apostle had to be a witness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. He had a special role of, of leadership in the early church. And so Paul was an apostle in this sense. He witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. When did he see him? On the road to Damascus. The risen Lord Jesus appears to Paul on that road and Paul was called by Jesus to be an apostle to the Gentiles. We read that in Acts chapter 9. And notice how Paul points this out in the second half of verse 1. He says, Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So Paul uh, was sent, which is what an apostle is. An apostle is someone who is sent with a message. First of all, he says where his authority is not from, in the negative. He's not from men or by a man. This means he wasn't chosen by an individual man or, an indiv or a group of, of men that gave him his authority. His, his authority wasn't, in other words, man-made. Rather, on the positive... His authority comes directly from Jesus Christ himself. Paul met Jesus personally. He was commissioned by Jesus Christ personally. And he derives all his authority from the risen Lord Jesus whom he met in the flesh. 
And Jesus Christ has authority over all because he is the Son of God, which has been proven by his resurrection from the dead, which Paul mentions here. So Jesus has authority as the Son of God because the Father raised him from the dead. Paul has his authority because the Son of God, who is risen from the dead, met Paul and commissioned him. In other words, what we are going to read in Galatians is the Word of God because Paul is a messenger commissioned by God himself. But notice also the beginning of verse 2. He says, and all the brothers and sisters with me. In other words, Paul's authority was recognized as coming from Jesus Christ, but it was recognized as that by those that he was with. He's recognized by other Christians. It's, Paul isn't a, a lone man wandering around making claims about his authority. His is a recognized authority. Now, why is this all important, that Paul's authority comes directly from Jesus and was recognized by the early church? It was important because, for this reason. We can trust what Paul says is God's word. And so we must listen to it. Now, there's a sense that all of us have an authority from God as his people. We're his witnesses. We're his ambassadors. It's true that other Christians recognize Jesus is at work in us. For example, when someone's baptized, the church is recognizing Jesus has saved them. Or when we're inducting an elder um, or a pastor, uh, we recognize that person. But it's not the same as what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying here that his authority as an apostle is that he is writing the word of God for the church of Jesus Christ. When I'm preaching, I claim authority only in as far as I say, this is what the Bible says. If I ever divert from the Bible, I have no authority at all. And if I ever do, you shouldn't listen to what I say. But Paul here is writing God's word. And so we have to listen. And that's important because... Sometimes what Paul writes will make us very uncomfortable. Sometimes Paul will challenge us. Sometimes Paul is going to say things that is very countercultural. Sometimes Paul may even make you angry when you first read what he says. But when we recognize that he is an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, when we are uncomfortable and when we are questioning, can this be right, we will recognize the problem is with us. And we will submit to the word of God. And that should be our attitude to all of God's word as we read it and submit to it every single day of our Christian lives. So we have the author, we have the authority, and finally we have the audience. And the audience is a congregation deserting the gospel. 
Uh, Look at the end of verse 2. He writes to the churches in Galatia. Uh, Note here, he writes to the churches, plural. Normally, when Paul writes a letter, he writes to an individual church. Here, he's writing to a group of churches. Now, churches here, when you read that word, is not uh, buildings. Uh, When we were driving uh, through Virginia in the summer, we were amazed as we were driving down, we said, of how many churches there were. There were loads as we're driving down the road, one church after the other. What we meant was, look at all these church buildings. Paul doesn't mean any building here. He means the congregations. In fact, um, when William Tyndale first translated the Bible into English in 1526, he translates this as to the congregations in Galatia. He means the people, the church people. Now, where is Galatia? Well, it's in um, modern-day Turkey. And it was a, a Roman province that was quite large. Now, there is debate about whether Paul was in the northern or southern region of Galatia, uh, but probably this was where Paul went on his first and second missionary journeys. So if you want some homework this week, you can read Acts chapters 13 to 16, and you'll see whereabouts Paul was traveling and where he was when he was planting these churches, where these churches are. But the region of Galatia was a place where there was a very mixed group of people. Some were Jews, some were Greeks, some were Gauls, which were uh, basically northern European barbarians. So the audience basically was um, very much like us, not in the sense that we're all northern European barbarians. What I mean is that we're a very mixed group of people from all sorts of areas. But why was Paul writing to these various churches in this area? Well, he was writing because he was very angry. Paul was an angry man with these churches for a good reason to be angry. This, uh, much of Paul's writings uh, give us much comfort, and there is that in this letter, But this is definitely Paul being, uh, I put in my notes, more mental than sentimental. (laughs) It's a fiery epistle from an angry apostle. Why is he angry? Because these churches are turning away from the true gospel. They're wanting to return to a religion of rules and regulations. They're, They're wanting to go back to slavery They're not trusting that Jesus is enough. And Paul has spent time establishing these churches, teaching them the truth of the gospel. And now they want to desert the gospel for slavery. Why would the congregation do this? Why would they want to go back to the Jewish law? Well, there's a number of reasons why they might do so. Reasons which we're often tempted with to desert the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. It was perhaps easier, first of all, for the, the, Jewish, uh, for the believers there to, 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 for, to do the Jewish law because there was less persecution for the Jewish people at the time. The Judaism was an established Roman religion. It was less troubling to do that. And for us, 
it can be less troubling if we just conform to what our friends would like or what our culture demands. Conformity is easier, but it's deserting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps, secondly, a a religion of self-accomplishment meant that they could feel good about themselves. Look what I've done. They could tell others, look at my life, look at all the things I'm doing. Are you never tempted to live your Christian life by making lots of rules so that you can feel proud and other people will think you look good? But living your life to make other people think you look good is just another form of slavery, isn't it? Or thirdly, perhaps sin still being a problem in their lives meant that they thought, well, the Holy Spirit's helping me, but look at these teachers. They've got a a list of rigid rules. If I just follow those rules, then I don't have to worry about fighting sin anymore. That's far easier than trying to, to be holy in the freedom Paul talks about. Now, we as a congregation are tempted in the exact same ways. And so we need to be reminded again of what the gospel actually is. And in fact, I would say that most problems Christians face come down to two underlying problems. Now, there's lots of complications and variety of problems, but really, there's two underlying problems. Number one, we don't really believe the gospel. I'm not saying we don't believe Jesus is risen from the dead or we, don't, you know, we, 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 we believe he died for our sins, but we don't really believe it functionally. That's the first thing, underlying problem. The second is we're not reading our Bibles. We're not relating to God and coming under the authority of his word. It sounds a simplified underlying thing for all of our problems, but really, if we just really believed the gospel and applied that to our situations, you'll find a lot of problems being solved. If you have a day-to-day relationship with our Savior through his word, you'll be amazed at how that addresses so much of what goes wrong in our lives. And so for Paul's audience, they're basically called to two very simple things. Trust the Bible and believe the gospel that is written therein. Because the gospel is the only way to true freedom. We so easily forget the gospel, don't we? And that's why we celebrate every single week what Jesus has done as we sing his praise as we remind each other again, this is true. And every other week, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we do in remembrance of what he has done for us. As we come to Galatians, how we understand and apply the issues in this letter determines what kind of message we will proclaim and what kind of life we will lead. The message and the lifestyle is one that we are no longer slaves, but we can live in the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. And it's a wonderful message. And this is a wonderful letter. And I'm praying that as we go through this epistle to the Galatians, Paul will show us how to live in the amazing freedom that Christ offers us. 
Well, before we come to the Lord's table, we're going to sing uh, together the truth that it is only by grace that we can enter the presence of God. And then we're going to remind each other of the gospel as we take the bread and the cup. So let's stand together as we sing, only by grace can we enter. <laughs>